0: Let me start with a couple of quotations I like. Football season kicks out. I love Vince Lombardi. The only place success comes before work is in the dictionary. Then I I like this quotation from Teddy Roosevelt. Here we go. Far away, the the best prize life has to offer is the chance to work hard at something worth doing. I'm telling you, if you and I get plugged in to doing something worth doing, it will add value and meaning to our life. So today we're going to talk about how do we get motivated to work. Now that's not always easy, is it? In fact, often when we talk about the word work, we think work is a, literally a four-letter word that we're afraid of. What, what motivates you about your workplace? Well, we might be to find that out if we uh, asked, what do you want out of a performance review? When you're pulled into a performance review, what would really excite you? A thank you, a commendation, a raise, an increase in vacation time and flexibility? Or maybe you like someone to come in and say, here's where you could improve. You might find in that moment what really motivates you to work. And we find it's very hard to stay motivated in our workplaces. It's hard to stay motivated in our homes. I think about when my kids were little growing up, and you, you guys are parents, understand this you know, when you're trying to have those Saturday work days? Is there any good way of waking them up in bed to tell them that? Hey, guys, today you've got an opportunity to serve. We are going to bless our family today as we rake these leaves and we clean out these gutters. I found it very, very hard to motivate my kids. they, They would fight that. So you try all kinds of different ways. You try just to be encouraging. This was dad's, dad's famous line. Guys, let's get up and let's just knock it out. Well, it didn't seem to work very well. Then you go, hey, if, if we really work really hard, you know, we'll get through this morning. We'll go to Chris's hot dogs for a, for a meal. Well, that might be a little bit better. Touch mom hates Chris's hot dogs. Or then, then you might say, okay, guys, if, if we don't get with it, if we don't really get with it, we're going to work all day long. Just, just suck it up. We're going the whole day. And you just, you just couldn't find a good way to motivate. And so you end up, well, what would we do in our family? We end up begging. please, I, well, here's what I would end up doing. I would just end up barking orders. You rake, you clean the gutters, you, you get the sidewalk. Okay, go pick that up right now. I mean, pick, pick up your pace. And so I just sort of barked them through the morning. Anybody ever experienced this? You were looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about, all right? We've all been there. Now, guys, in church, sometimes I think it's the same way. We try to motivate by encouragement. We try to motivate by positive reinforcement. We try to motivate sometimes by guilt. And yet often we, we don't get anywhere. And we, we end up sort of barking orders out or we end up begging, please, please, please help us. We've got this great opportunity for you to serve in the nursery. And if you would just sign up, it would be a blessing to you and a blessing to the church. And then we bombard you with about 10,000 emails, right? And, and how, how do you do it? How do we motivate one another? Now, this morning, we're going to look at a a passage, I think, that's going to give us the key. Look with me, first of all, though, to a familiar passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. Now, you're familiar with this. And now, Paul says, these remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is what? Love. Now, some writers call this Paul's shorthand for the effective Christian life. Faith, hope, and love. In fact, if you'll read through the Gospels and then you get to the, the epistles, you'll see that, that triad of faith, hope, and love is mentioned at least seven times. Because to Paul, that's, that's a shorthand of saying, here's the things that really move us and really motivate us. In fact, before he wrote 1 Corinthians, he wrote 1 Thessalonians. So I want you to look at this passage from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. In, in this passage, I think Paul puts the meat on the bones. Now he does mess up the order here, okay? He doesn't say faith, hope, and love. He says faith, love, and hope. Maybe he got it better later, but he starts off with faith, hope. No, faith, love, and hope. Now listen to this, this verse. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, And your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says faith, love, and hope are the things that really prompt us, produce, and inspire us. So today as we talk about being motivated to work, today as we sign up to work in this church, what's going to motivate us? It's these Christian virtues of faith and love and hope. Let's start with that first, first phrase. Work produced by faith what does that talk about now i think you can divide this out faith and love and hope faith is what god has done it's what god has done it's what god has done in the past the bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god why do you need to be into the word of god Why do you need to be studying it over and over again Why are we encouraging you next week to show up for Bible classes we get that that started? Because as you hear those stories of faith, it produces work. As you see how faithful God has been in the past, it motivates you to want to go out and work. And that's why studying the Scripture is so important, because here's what's going to happen. The more you study the Bible, you're going to find out two things. You're going to find out that you're a whole lot worse than you thought you were. Okay, And you're going to find out that God's a whole lot better than you ever thought he was. And because of that, it's going to prompt you. And and guys, based on what God has done for you, you are motivated to work. Guys, the only time faith or or work is a four-letter word in the Bible is when you talk about earning your salvation. We say, I'm going to go out and I'm going to work really hard so that I can win the favor of God. That's a bad use of the word work. But but God does believe that when you understand what he's done for you, it will produce work. It's like the guy I was reading about this week who was trying to learn how to swim. And he was just trying really, really hard. But he wasn't getting it down. And he was, in fact, trying too hard. And finally, the, the swimming instructor said to him, here's what you need to do. Lay back, relax, let the water hold you up. And then he was able to swim. guys, many of us, the first step we need to take is to let God's grace hold us up based on what God has done for us in the past. It motivates us now to work. In fact, the word work here in this part is the word for occupation. This isn't about sweat work. This is about a lifestyle. What's he saying? The Christian who understands what God has done for them, Christianity becomes more than a church you attend, more than doing a few good things, more than being a little bit nicer. Christianity becomes your occupation. You're not a coach who happens to be a Christian. You're not an accountant who happens to be a Christian. You're not a teacher who happens to be a Christian. You're a coach who's a Christian who happens to be a coach. You're an accountant who's a Christian who happens to be an accountant. You're a teacher who's a Christian who happens to be a, a teacher. It's your occupation. It's your way of life. You can't get over what God has done for you. In fact, he says, that if there's not some evidence, if there's not some work to show, then you probably don't really have faith. Look at James chapter 2, verse 17. He says, without, it's the same. It's the same way. Faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action or work, is dead. What's he saying? If we get what God has done for us, it can't help but move us. We don't need somebody up here begging us to get involved, someone guilt-tripping us into signing up to serve. We, We won't need that because... We can't get over what Jesus has done for us. So the key word in this first section is the word remember. My brothers and sisters, if we will just remember what God has done for us, nobody's going to have to beg us to serve. It's going to be crazy. We're going to beg God for the opportunity to serve. I told this story a couple months ago, but I think it proves the point we're saying here. There were these two young men who grew up together, and they, were, they, were, um, they joined the military, and they were in Afghanistan fighting. They, they'd grown up in the same neighborhood, been in the same schools, they'd been best friends since kindergarten. And they, they just loved each other, and had a great relationship, and, and finally they both decided to join the army together, and craziest thing happens, they're in the same platoon, and they're in the desert sands of Af- Afghanistan fighting, and It's it's terrible, but it's awesome that they're in the same tent. And one day they're out fighting the enemy, trying to overcome the Taliban, and they're crawling across the sand. And all of a sudden, from the Taliban line, there comes a hand grenade that's thrown. And it lands right in front of one of them. But before it can go off, the friend jumps from where he is on top of the hand grenade. He dies. And his friend lives, who should have died. Now... What's going to be your reaction if you're the friend that lives? You go back to your tent and you check your Facebook? You go back and you read a magazine? You you get on your ESPN app to get the scores? No, 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 no. Your friend has just died for you. You're going to go back and you're going to think, my goodness, I cannot believe he would do this for me. What are you going to do? I will live the rest of my life out in honor of my friend who gave himself for me. I may not do anything else in my life, but I will honor him for what he did. That's natural. My friends, that's what Jesus has done for you. And if you will keep that in your memory bank and remember that, it will motivate you out of your mind. So right now, we're going to remember what Jesus did for us. We're going to take communion together. And I want you, in the next few moments, to simply focus on that sacrifice that Jesus gave and be asking yourself, in response to this, has being a Christian become my number one description of who I am? Has it become my occupation? Let's pray together. God, thank you for bringing us together this morning. Lord, we want to be a motivated people, but God, we confess that so often our motivation is is lacking. And often we're embarrassed to say, Father, our motivation is lacking for you. And Father, we want this kind of faith that Paul described that produced work, that produced a lifestyle, that produced an occupation, And I believe, Father, that Paul was convinced if we would just remember how good Jesus has been to us, what he has done for us on that cross, if we would just remember his body, his blood, and that that means to us that we are saved, that we don't have to work for our salvation, but because we're saved, we dearly want to work for you. God, give us that memory these next few moments, and may that motivate us out of our mind. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We continue to seek this, uh, excuse me, this motivation that God wants to give us. And and now we look at the the second great motivation, which is uh, love. And he talks about our labor prompted by love. Now, now what is love about? Where faith is about what God has done, love is about what God is doing in us And among us, Romans chapter 5 says that God is pouring his love into us through his Holy Spirit. One of the Spirit's greatest purposes in our life is to teach us how to love. And so we begin to love each other the way Christ has loved us. You, You see, the Spirit's purpose is to create a community where people love each other to a degree that you could not find anywhere else on the earth. Now, it's interesting that this word labor here means hard work. It means exhaustion, toil, sweat. This is not the easy word. It's not like the occupation word we just looked at. This is the word that says, you know what? At times we have to go out of our way to serve one another, to help one another. Uh, Look at a passage with me. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. I think Paul hits it on the head here. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. What's he saying? When I'm a part of the family of God, the Holy Spirit begins to change me where it's not about what I want or what I desire, it's about what might be best for somebody else. And that will prompt me to work hard, to sweat, to toil. You know, next week, as a nation, we will celebrate the anniversary, not celebrate or remember, the anniversary of 9-11. It's a perfect example of people who put other people first. Visited the 9-11 Memorial a few weeks ago. It's an amazing place. So touching. Because you have these first responders who are going up these stairwells while everybody else is trying to go down the stairwells. They're going up to their imminent death because they decided to serve in a way to put somebody else above themselves. And that's the kind of love that God says That we are to have for one another. It's so motivating. I was speaking to a a football team Friday. And the coach got up to talk a little bit. And he said our theme for our football team is Philippians 2, 3, and 4. He says, guys, we're going to have a great team when we each put the other first. It's sort of fascinating to me. The crustiest old coach today you can think of talks about how their team needs to love each other. Because when we know when people go out on the field and they're, they're, they care as much for the other person as themselves, we know there's a bond there that's amazing. And, and that's what Paul is saying to us. We, we have this, this love that motivates us to labor Because here's what's going to happen in our our body is we've got to come to a point where we put other people above ourselves. Where it's not just about what I want. You know, we we have pretty two distinct worship services now. And when we gather together, we have a, a great example of this. You probably don't notice this, but on July the 4th when we met, the praise team was seated. Because that's the way one service is. When we meet today, the praise team is up here. Because what we know is we all have to make allowances for one another. We all have to put somebody above ourselves. I don't always get it my way. You don't always get it your way. We're in a body that says, you know what? If you like singing those songs, I can get over the songs I won't. And you say to me, you know what? I, I don't really like the songs you like, but I love to sing those songs because you love those songs. And it's that kind of body where we sacrifice. And guys, what we're looking for today is a church that comes together and we work for each other. And we walk in here. See, your is gonna be any Sunday you walk in this building thinking, what is somebody gonna do for me? How somebody gonna serve me? Is anybody gonna speak to me? Is anybody gonna invite me to be in their small group? I mean, if you come in that way, I'm gonna tell you, you're probably gonna be disappointed. You certainly won't be pleasing God. But if you come in this assembly, And we come together going, you know what? I'm going to encourage somebody. I'm going to serve someone. I'm going to greet somebody. Then I'm telling you, amazing things will happen. But it won't happen as long as I put my interest first and you put your interest first. Guys, it's as simple as what happens in this building most Sunday mornings. Most Sunday mornings, we have a period that we call a a greeting period. How many of you like that period? Raise your hand. How many of you can't stand that period? Raise your hand. Okay, I know some of you can't. Because here's the problem. We are it's bad enough if someone visits with us and they're just not greeted. It's even worse if somebody stands up here and says, Would you all now greet each other and no one greets them? That's doubly bad, right? You know, I heard a story I wasn't here last Sunday, but but I heard a story about this that I want to share with you because As a church, guys, we never get a second chance to make a first impression. And you know if you've ever visited churches, how many churches you can go to and no one even speaks to you. And we don't want to be that church. And again, I may have to go out of my comfort zone. But here's what what scares me when I stand up here and say, let's greet each other. I, I look in the back and I see some guests. And then I look beside them and I see some of you and you're just standing like this. And I'm going, oh, no, no, let me get back there. And last Sunday I heard the president's wife from Faulkner during the greeting time stood there by herself while many of you just stood there. I don't know where she was sitting until one lady on the other side of the worship center saw what was going on and knew her from working out there and went all the way across to greet her. My friends, listen to me. We cannot Let that happen. Amen? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to practice greeting. (laughs) You say, buddy, I don't know what to say. I don't know if they're a member or guest. Well, you better wear your name tag, okay? (laughs) Or you say, I don't know if they've been here 20 years or one week. Guys, here's the line. Let me teach you a line. Hey, nice to meet you. How long have you been at Landmark? Say that with me. Hey, nice to meet you. How long have you been at Landmark? that works for anybody. If they've been here the first week, or they've been here 50 years, it works. And so here's what we're gonna do. We are gonna practice greeting because we've gotta get this down pat. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna greet one another until you hear the praise team start, the greatest commandments. And then let's just remain standing and let's think about our love for each other. Stand up, move your bottom, (laughs) greet somebody. Well, I appreciate y'all putting up with my voice this morning, it is quickly going. We just got a little bit more. It went out on me Friday night. I was beside my good friend Billy Camp. And Billy said, this is so good, maybe you won't preach long Sunday. <laughs> yes, you did. Yes, yes, you did. I thought I might that out. He's telling me to cut it now. Well, let's go to one word of the triad, okay? Endurance inspired by hope. I love this one. Because hope is about what God will do. Faith was about what God has done. Love is about what God is doing. And hope is about what God will do. And the word here for endurance is a a, a unique word. We don't really have a, a good English word to translate it. But what it really means is ceaseless action. It means this hope that we have that there's a better day coming causes you and I, to endure. You see, it's easy to start anything. It's much more difficult to finish. Many of us start the Christian life all motivated, all pumped up. We're the person that comes to church and says, tell me what to do, I'll, I'll, I'll serve anywhere you need me. But if we're not careful with age and time, we begin to lose that motivation. And the great motivation to keep us in ceaseless action is hope. Studies say if someone has hope, they can endure anything. You take hope away and they stop. After World War II, when we went into Germany and found all these orphan children, we had a problem in that they, they wouldn't sleep. And we finally found out the reason they wouldn't sleep is because they didn't think they'd have food in the morning. And so we learned to give each child a piece of bread at night, not to eat, but to just hold on through the night. Because it said to them, there's gonna be something in the morning. And guys, I would be fooling you if I said this is always easy. It's like the last word we studied, there is toil, sweat, and endurance. And too many of us started this life out strong, but with time, we have faded. That a day while we're all together. I wanted to point out someone among us who just amazes me because he will not fade despite the fact he has more excuses than anybody else in this assembly that I know of to say, I give up. I'm not going to show up at 6 o'clock to pray. I'm not going to go serve in the inner city. I'm not going to show up for the elders meetings. It's, It's our brother Junior Bagel who this week, celebrates his 60th birthday junior would you stand so that we can tell you how much we love you that man. He inspires me every day. Look at this scripture, Galatians 6, 9 and 10. Paul knows this is an issue with us. He says, "...let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers." Paul knows for every one of us, it's easy to grow weary. It's easy to give up. But the person we admire and respect, like our brother Jr., is the person, despite the obstacles, keeps on serving. And that's why we've made a big deal over the last month in trying to get ready for next Sunday. Because next Sunday, we start our new schedule. And what we want to do is motivate everybody to be a part of one of our Sunday morning ministries. Now, we've talked a lot over the last few months about what we do outside of these doors. And that's our focus. And President Williams gave some great teaching last week about us being in our community. But let's not forget what Paul says. Let's do good to all people, especially to those of the household of faith. It starts... Here, And guys, what we do on Sunday morning is critical. It is that first impression. You know what it's like, I do, to walk into a church that's a hard-working church, and you know what it's like to walk into a church where everybody's just going through the motions. And, and, and we can't be that. We've got to be that church where we are greeting one another. We've got to be that church where there are plenty of people to show up on Saturday to cut the grass. We've got to be that church where we're not begging for Sunday school teachers and children's workers and nursery workers. And that's why this form is in your copy of Lifelines this morning. How can I serve? This is not about everything we do as a church. This is focused on what we do on Sunday mornings. And as we walk into these new assemblies this next Sunday, what would be really cool is if we had one of these from everybody in here. Where can you serve on Sunday morning? You know, our biggest need and the biggest blessing to you would be to serve in our children's ministry. We have almost 300 kids under sixth grade. It takes a lot of workers. And here's the cool thing when all of us contribute, this can happen. One thing I'm really fired up about going to two services and having this Bible class in between is that I can sign up to serve in the nursery. At 9.45. Like, I don't have to just get up here and talk about it. I love being in the nursery. And so I get a chance to sign up and be a part of that. Some of you, you may choose to go to Bible class, go to service, and serve in another service. Just come spend your whole morning serving. But here's what I'm asking. Before you leave here today, would you please fill this out? And if you've never served, this is your opportunity to become a part of something. Now, here's what I love about this. When when, when you begin to serve, there's some great things that happen. I mean, one thing that happens is you're going to feel better. I'm I'm telling you, if you just come here to take every Sunday, it's not going to be enough to motivate you. Jesus was not kidding when he said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It absolutely is. And when you begin to serve, not only are you going to feel better, but you're going to feel more apart. It's a big church. I mean, just on a morning like this, an off weekend, this place is packed. And we know it's really easy to come here and sort of get lost in the shuffle. But if you serve, I'm telling you, you go back and serve in that nursery. You go teach that children's class. You stand out on the sidewalks and you greet. You work at that welcome desk. You become a part of what God is doing. You take up those communion cups. I'm not going to go on and on and on. But as you do that, I'm telling you, you're going to feel better. And this is going to become much more like family. I saw the coolest illustration this week. They asked this question. How many times have you ever washed you're a rental car. Anybody here ever washed a rental car? You're an oddball, Joe Martin, okay? (laughs) We normally don't do that, do we? Why don't we wash a rental car? Because we don't own it. Why do we drive different than a rental car? We don't own it. And guys, here's what happens when you become a worker in a church, is that you start having ownership. You see, too many of us treat this church like a rental car. We just use it. And I'm just going to tell you, if you don't get past that, this church is never going to be your family, and you're not going to stay here. But if you'll get to work, my goodness, I'll, I'll promise you two things. You will feel better, and you'll feel more part. So before you leave, if you would take a moment just to quickly fill this out. Just leave it on the pew. You don't have to take it anywhere. Just leave it there. Many of you have already filled this out. But what would be so cool is if we enter this new phase of our history next week with more workers than we can use. We're gonna pray about that in just a moment. So here's the key. Let's get to work. What, what are we, we are motivated out of our mind by the faith that we have in what Jesus has done for us. We are motivated by the love that we have for each other in putting someone else first. And we're motivated by the hope that we have that heaven is just around the corner. Like I said, years ago, I used to, to say to my children, let's knock it out, let's knock it out. And now my son Luke has got where he calls me and he's telling me what he's doing over in Mississippi. He'll say, dad, I knocked it out today. Now, I know that's not true, but I really, really appreciate him saying it, all right? And so today, guys, what I'm saying to you is, man, let's let's knock it out. What could we do together? And and don't think, look at all these people, somebody else is going to do it. That's not true. We need you. And so the number one way you can respond to this message is to fill this out. Number two thing is there's some of you who, you know what? You've lost your motivation. You go, buddy, man, I used to serve. I used to give myself, but there's just, I don't know what's happened, but but Satan has been able to take my motivation away. As the praise team comes up here for us to sing about this hope, I want you to consider coming to this front row. Because in just a moment, we're going to have a special prayer for workers. And if today's the day that you need to reengage in the work of the kingdom of God, if you have lost your motivation, but Paul would say, you know what? Your faith will prompt work. Your love will produce work. Your hope will produce and inspire work. And you go, you know what? In view of everything God has done for me, is doing for me, and will do for me, I got to get to work. Come right now while we stand and sing.